You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. I want to invite you to uh, take your seats uh, this morning. Uh, really excited. This is a, a baptism service, a very important moment for Kay and Teresita and Maria and Marsha, who are about to uh, follow the Lord's command to believe in him and to be uh, baptized. And uh, before uh, we hear their story, I just want to take a, a few moments here just to sort of uh, describe the meaning of baptism. What is actually going on here when these individuals are going to allow themselves to be, to be put immersed underwater and then brought up uh, out of the water. And uh, I'm not going to share my personal uh, definition. We're going to go right to uh, God's Word. Trust me, you don't want to hear from me. We want to hear God speak through His Word. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the third chapter of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, hey, we're, we're on it. We don't, we're a portable church. You can see we're meeting in a gym here, and we don't have pew Bibles like a traditional church. We just have amazing volunteers. And so if you, if you don't have a Bible, just put up your hand or holler at them. And uh, we want to make sure everyone has a chance uh, to follow along. Let's make sure we don't miss anyone. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, this is our gift to you. And so hopefully it will be a blessing to you in, in that regard. So as we get started, uh, before I read the passage that we're going to uh, study this morning, uh, I want to begin with a word of prayer. And so, dear God, I thank you for this chance to gather in your name, the people of God, uh, who love you, who you have saved. Thank you that we have the privilege of singing. Thank you, God, for saving me. God, thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, the promise of eternal life. And God, I pray that the spirit who inspired Matthew to record these events in history, I pray that that same spirit who is alive and move, moving among us today, I pray that the spirit would illumine, illuminate your word and allow us to, to see what is there and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to look today at Jesus' baptism. In, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, but before we do that, I, I, I want us to begin at verse 1, just so that we can understand the context as far as the timing and also sort of the historical and cultural context behind a baptism. So if you look at chapter 3, verse 1, before we get into the outline, I just want to read to you verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John uh, the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was about six months older than Jesus, and he's really synonymous with baptism. You can see it right there. He was called John the Baptist. Baptism was what John was known for, and he, he was preaching and teaching, and you might think it's a little odd that there's preaching happening in a school right now. Well, uh, John didn't preach at a school. He preached in the woods. Uh, he was out in the wilderness by, by the Jordan River, uh, far from, from any major city or population center, but he was out there, and there was a specific reason why he was there. He also had an important message. His, his message is summarized in verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that, that's not all he ever said. I mean, that's just really a summary of what his message 
was, and in other parts of the Bible, we have longer uh, descriptions of the kinds of things that he was saying while he was preaching. But the core message was to repent. And the word repent simply means to turn. And what John was saying was that, that, that we're all headed in one certain direction. And the way that we're acting, we need to turn. That all needs to change. And the way that we're feeling, that needs to turn. That needs to change. And the way that we're thinking, that needs to turn. And so John was calling people to repent. He was calling people for the need to change. Does anyone here today feel like there are things happening in your life? You know, they just need to change. You're headed in a certain direction and you want to turn, but you're not sure how. Well, that's why John came. That's why he, was, he started preaching and teaching this message of repentance. And then he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, John was the, probably the, one of the closest cities to, to where he was preaching was the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital for the, for the nation of Israel, the, the, the people of God, the Jewish people. And uh, for centuries, they had, they had been longing for God to come and to reign as their king. They had some amazing kings in their history, you know, kings like Josiah and Hezekiah, kings like Solomon, kings like David. And so there was a sense, especially at the time in which John arrived on the scene, there was a sense in which people were looking back to the glory days. Oh, remember when David was king and we were such a powerful, strong nation? But they were not only looking back to the glory days, longing for that to happen, but they were looking forward to this day where they would have another king, where God himself was going to personally come and rule over the people of Israel. And in so doing, rule over the whole world. They were longing to have that happen. And so that's why John is saying the kingdom of heaven is, he's saying that king, the king who's coming, God who's coming to dwell here on earth and to rule over us. He says it's at hand, which means right around the corner, just outside the door, coming quickly, pending. It's about to happen. Then in verse 3 it says, for this is... He who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who wrote 700 years earlier than John. And and this is what Isaiah said. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so John going out in the wilderness and preaching this message, this message of repentance was really a message of preparation. To get ready, to get ready for what? Prepare the way of the Lord of the Lord. Get things ready for the Lord, for God to come and to be the king, for him to come. Now John's clothing was a little bit peculiar. Verse 4 says, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. This isn't the kind of thing you can get at, you know, Winners or American 21, so, uh, or American Apparel. I don't even know where to get clothes anymore. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair. He's actually dressed in the same way that Elisha dressed. In 2 Kings chapter 1, that's the exact same way that one of the other famous prophets from long ago uh, chose uh, to dress. Then then we're told about his diet, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So this was sort of like a high-protein, low-carb, no-gluten, no-refined sugar kind of a a diet. And so he, he was... Preaching in a strange place, and he was wearing kind of strange clothes, and he was eating kind of strange food, and so 
A lot of people were sort of curious about this guy, John, who was out preaching in the wilderness. That's why it says in verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. So there's this curiosity about him. Then it says in verse 6, And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John's location was peculiar, his appearance, his diet, all of that was very strange. But the strangest thing about what John was doing was what he was asking people to do. In verse 5, these, these are people who are coming to him. They're coming from Jerusalem. They're coming from the capital city. They're all Jewish. They're coming from Judea, which was the, the region in the, in the Roman-dominated Middle East where all the Jewish people lived. He was telling Jewish people that they needed to get baptized. You see, you need to understand something about baptism. John the Baptist did not invent baptism. I mean, just about every religion in the world has some sort of ceremony uh, related to water and cleansing. Even in the Old Testament, you had some ceremonies related to, uh, related to uh, water, but there was no baptism in the Old Testament. And, and really to understand the significance about what was happening with John, you need to understand the way that um, the Jewish nation and the Jewish religion related to one another. We don't, we don't really see those kinds of parallels anymore. The, the, the closest that, that you can see, unless you have a friend who's, who's Jewish, but the closest you would, you, you would get to that would be our, our friends and neighbors who are Sikhs. You see, with, with Sikhism, it's really hard to differentiate between what is being a Sikh related to your ethnicity and who your parents are, or is being a Sikh related to your religion and what you practice. The line between those two things is very, very blurred. And it was, it was the same in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. You were, you were, in a sense, born Jewish. But in another sense, you were Jewish because of the things that you did. It was related to your heritage, your culture, your upbringing, your ethnicity. But it was also related to your religion and worshiping at the temple and reading the Torah, the Old Testament, and following God's commands. But every once in a while... Someone who was not ethnically Jewish, who was not born into a Jewish family, would want to worship the one and, true, the one and only true God, the, the, the Jewish God. And, but they weren't ethnically part of the people of God, but they wanted to become part of the people of God. They wanted to worship at the temple. They wanted to follow the Ten Commandments. They, 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 wanted, to live, they wanted to live in that way. And in order for them, to, if someone who was non-Jewish wanted to become Jewish, well, first and foremost, all of the men needed to be circumcised. And then the men and the women needed to be baptized. And baptism was sort of this picture of I'm cleansing myself of my old, my old background, the gods I used to worship, my former religion, my former way of life, my former identity. All of that is getting washed away, and now I am among the people of God. And so it was this ultimate picture of someone who was an outsider going under the water, washing all of that away, and now they're on the inside. So that's, that's the historical background of baptism. That's what's so surprising about what John was doing. Not, not that he dressed funny or ate weird clothes or, or preached in the forest, but it was that 
that he was telling people who already were insiders that they were outsiders. He was telling people that thought, hey, come on, I'm Jewish. I mean, my parents are Jewish. And I follow the law. And John said, that's not enough. Your sin has separated you from God. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, one of the things that baptism makes abundantly clear is the misconception that is all over our culture is that no one is born a Christian. You might be born into a Christian family, but you're not born a Christian until you're born again by faith. We are all born as outsiders, and baptism is the ultimate picture of that. You're not saved by who your parents are or your family background. You're not saved because you follow certain rules or laws. You're saved because you're born again by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what was going on there on the Jordan River. And then Jesus shows up. And it's in Jesus' baptism where we're going to put together a three-part definition of what baptism is. Look with me now at verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John, John sees Jesus, and Jesus is coming into the water like, just like everyone else, and John's like, slow down, cousin, come on. We got, we got this backwards. Uh, you, you're the one who should be baptizing me. I'm here to prepare the way for you because you're God in the flesh. You're the king that we've been waiting for. And you see, John was calling people to repent. And verse six says that he was calling people to, to confess their sin. And John knew that Jesus had never sinned. He knew that he was perfect Jesus had never lied or stolen. He never disrespected Mary or Joseph, his parents. He, he, he never used the Lord's name in vain. He, he had never broken a single command. There was no repentance necessary. There was no confession required for him to get right with God. He was God. So John's like, why in the world are you here, Jesus? This, this can't happen. John knew what the author of Hebrews uh, wrote later in Hebrews 4 verse 15 that says, we do not have a high priest describing Jesus who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. John knew that about Jesus. But look at Jesus' response to him in verse 15. In, in verse 15 Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. First and foremost, as we think about baptism, we've got to understand this. It's just an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. That's what it was for Jesus that day in the Jordan River. He did it to fulfill all righteousness. He did it so that he could obey what his father wanted him to do. Jesus was sin-free. He was sinless. He was completely holy and perfect. He did everything that the Father commanded him to do. And Jesus was fully human. He was not only fully God, he was also fully human. And God, through John, was commanding all of humanity to get baptized. And so Jesus had to follow that command. 
Jesus said it was, it was, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Here's the interesting thing when we, when we wrestle with the idea of why did Jesus get baptized. The reason why he didn't need to get baptized is the same reason why he did get baptized. He was perfectly righteous. Because he was perfectly righteous, he didn't need to, do, he didn't need to follow that command. But because he was perfectly righteous, he did follow that command. And Jesus' righteousness is so important because when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it's not just that you have your sins forgiven and you're given this sort of blank slate status, like a do-over, to sort of try your life again. No, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 describes this so beautifully. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's describing Jesus. He knew no sin. He was perfect. He didn't need to be baptized. But he made him to be sin. So Jesus took all of our sin when he died on the cross. He he became sin for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. And notice this. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we are saved from our sin. But we are also given this gift of righteousness. So that when God looks at us he sees the righteousness of God of his son, Jesus Christ. So that is now credited to us. Jesus died his death as though he had lived our life, that he got what we deserved. And that we now get credited as though we lived his life of perfect selflessness and sacrifice and love and caring and full obedience, full righteousness is counted to us. So it's an act of obedience It was an act of obedience for Jesus. It's an act of obedience for us. Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, it's right here on the banner, to go and make make disciples of all nations. And then the next word is baptizing them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God commands you to be baptized. It's an act of obedience. So at the end of verse 15, it says, then he consented. And so John wasn't going to argue with Jesus any longer. And so we baptized him, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And uh, you don't come up from the water unless you go down under the water. And it's very important that uh, Jesus went under the water and came up. It's very important that our baptism candidates stay. They're going to go under the water and then come up because of the second thing. That baptism is a portrait of salvation. It's a portrait of salvation. You see, when Jesus went under the water that day on the Jordan River, it was a, it was a picture, a, a portrait, it was a prophecy of what he was going to do. It, it, it foreshadowed why he came. You see, Jesus said later in Luke 12, verse 50, he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now this, that's written in Luke 12. Jesus had been baptized a long, long before that. It, it, he wasn't referring to water baptism, but when Jesus in the New Testament talks about the cross, he often uses the metaphor of baptism. Two of his disciples one time came up to Jesus and said, hey, like, can we be at your right hand? Can we be, sit at the seat of honor? And Jesus said, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And will you be baptized with the baptism that I'll be baptized with? And Again, Jesus wasn't referring to water. He was referring to the cross. 
And when Jesus went under the water in the Jordan, it was a picture of what he was going to accomplish on the cross. It's a three-part picture. It was a picture of cleansing, a picture of death, and a picture of resurrection. Cleansing, death, and resurrection. Cleansing is obvious, man. Like, it's, it's, it's water. We use water to clean ourselves. We use water to, to clean all kinds of things. Jesus came to cleanse us from our sins. But he, he came to, to cleanse us in a, in a very specific way. See, in order to remove sin, uh, justice had to be done. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Logically, that makes sense uh, because sin is, is turning away from God. And if God is the author of life, if we choose to turn away from him, then the natural consequence is death. And so Jesus came to die the death that we deserve to die. And going under the water, holding your breath, it's like a burial. And it, it, it's a picture of death. It's also a picture of resurrection because Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? Three days later, he rose from the dead in permanent, instructable life. And, and, and yeah, that's worth clapping for. Jesus rose from the dead, amen. And bat, when the person springs up out of the water, they're cleansed, they've just experienced a symbolic death and now it's a sign of new life in Jesus Christ. This is summed up so perfectly in Romans 6, verse three to four. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? It's a picture of, yeah, Jesus died for me and you know what? I'm repenting, I'm turning. That old part of me is dead. I am new because I'm forgiven. And then it says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Coming out of the water, it's new life. It's a new start by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a portrait of a salvation. And then lastly, baptism, it's a statement of identification. It's a statement of identification. In some ways, when Jesus chose to get baptized, it was like he was identifying with us. You know, in Isaiah 53, it says that he was, he was numbered among the transgressors. And so he was identifying as a human. He was identifying as our substitute for sin, numbered among the transgressors, baptized along with us. And, and it's a statement of identification in that when, when we get baptized, we are, we are saying, I'm, I'm dying with Christ. I'm raised with Christ. He is my new identity. He is the source of my life. But then there's even a more powerful statement of identification that's outlined when Jesus comes out of the water. Look at verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Notice how all three members of the Trinity are all present there. You've got the Father speaking, the Son's in the water, and the Spirit is descending. And so um, 
all of them are there for this powerful statement of identification. Jesus goes under the water, comes out of the water, and God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And loved ones, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, in the same way that God spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized and said, this is my beloved son, God looks down on these four uh, ladies here today and says, these are my beloved daughters with whom I am well pleased. And it's not, listen, I, I want you to understand this. It is an act of obedience and it's so important to be baptized, but it's not that God waits until you're baptized to say that he's pleased with you. No, he's pleased with you, not because you're getting baptized, but because Jesus got baptized. Because G it's Jesus' righteousness that allows him to look at us when we are found in him and we place our faith in him when we admit that we're a sinner and believe that he died on the cross and commit to follow him. God, God looks at us and says, you are part of my family. And we as a church family are, are affirming and recognizing that, that these are daughters of God. These are part of our family. Well, that's enough from me. Let's hear from them now. Pastor Chris, do you want to come and, uh, and lead us in our, our baptisms now? This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.